Good morning, all. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 is where we begin this hour. Good to see you all. Thank you for being here among our guests. Thank you for being part of our assembly this morning. Thank you so very much. As I said in the 9 o'clock period, as we close today, this will conclude our section that we're talking about regarding the work of elders, shepherds, or bishops. And next week we'll turn our attention to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, you have this statement, for bishop must be blameless, a steward of God. The idea of a steward is one who is entrusted with the affairs or concerns or well-being of another. We have a parable like that where the, you have the steward of the unjust, the unjust steward, where he was being called to account for some of the misappropriations and misconduct that he had engaged in. And so he thought repetitiously what he would do is he'll go behind the scenes and he'll stack the deck so that he'll forgive what the debt is. And when he's kicked out of business, then he'll go to those who he ingratiated himself and they would then ingratiate themselves to him and provide for him. And he got caught cooking the books. And he paid for it. And so here he talks about a man is a steward. One who is a manager or caretaker of the affairs of another. Verse 9. He says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be, may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who are contrary. Here you have the expression to hold fast the faithful word. This expression, hold fast the faithful word, is companion with a statement in 1 Timothy 3 of able to teach. The idea here of a man who's able to hold fast the word is a man who has applied himself to an understanding of the Word of God. Someone who has immersed himself in the Word of God and, and has a familiarity with the Word of God and therefore is able to communicate the Word of God to those with whom he may cross or he may need to communicate. We just lost a steward here. Props help. You see, when there's an elephant in the room, you just well to acknowledge it. Everybody on this aisle is watching that orange thing roll down here. <laughs> and so I just thought I'd call attention to it. You folks over here don't know what you're missing. So now that we have our distractions taken care of, back to the point here. You see, I was holding something fast there. It just wasn't the word. Holding fast the word. Someone who has immersed himself in the word and able to teach, able to communicate that word. If a man's not going to immerse himself, apply himself to a study of the word of God, how can he help teach those who need it? Let me pause just here for just a moment. When a man first takes the responsibility that he's asked to shoulder, of being an elder, a bishop, or a shepherd. There will be things that will cross 
the discussion relative to the Word of God that he may never have entertained before as far as an application is concerned. So when we say hold fast to the Word of God, that doesn't mean you have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and you understand every naughty problem that you're ever going to face. When a man first becomes an elder and there are issues, there are questions, there are judgments, there are doctrinal things that come across the desk to be considered. He may never have been exposed to the discussion of those things ever before. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about is you're able to take that word and you're able to reason from that word and therefore instruct that word. And as you grow in your exposure as an elder, then your library of knowledge as it applies to the Word of God and goes out of the Word of God, will continually increase. I think that's really important to understand. Just because a man is asked to serve as an elder doesn't mean he now knows how to handle every naughty problem that comes across the desk. But he must be familiar with the Word of God. And the reason for that is this. He said that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who are contrary. That word convict there is the word to show. It's not to tell. It's to show where this is wrong. Now, just because a person is convicted doesn't mean the person will correct. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, when you have the man that has committed offense against a brother, and one brother goes to a brother and he will not listen, he takes with him two or three witnesses. <coughs> And he won't listen to the witnesses. And so it is told to the church. But he won't listen to the church. He is to be regarded as a heathen and a publican. He's been convicted. He's been shown. He's been shown where he's wrong. But he won't change anything about it. So just because a person has been convicted, shown where they're wrong, doesn't mean they necessarily will change. Another word convict is like in John chapter 8 and verse 46. When Jesus said, who convicteth me of sin? The idea of convict there is charge. Who charges me with sin? Now, we may be able to charge someone incorrectly. We may not be accurate with that. But we cannot show someone where they're wrong inaccurately. If we're going to show someone where they're wrong, there must be the evidence to show where they're wrong. So you can reprove incorrectly, but you cannot rebuke incorrectly. For example, whenever Herod, when, when, when uh, John the Baptist stands before Herod, he doesn't just charge Herod with having his brother's wife. He shows him where that is wrong. Now, the purpose of doing that is not to make a set of rules and church edicts so this is the edict, these are the standards, these are the rules of this church, and if you don't jihad these rules, then you're going to be kicked out. That's not what this is about. This is about teaching. It's about instructing. It's about taking the sound doctrine and helping others be charged and shown where they're wrong with the sound doctrine. It's not about making a creed of any kind to therefore you must agree with the elders. If you don't agree with the elders, then you are out of here. No. It is teaching and it is teaching, it is instructing, and it's all by the use of sound doctrine. 
And so Paul will tell Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete to set some things in order. And you must help men be instructed to hold fast the word, have a knowledge of the word of God, be able to communicate that word of God, have an interest in the souls of people to be able to invest yourself in them and be able to share that. And you must use the sound doctrine to convict them and also to show them, show them where they're wrong, to reprove them and to rebuke them, to show them where they need to be corrected. And so that's what Paul will tell, will tell Titus. Turn me to the book of James now. The book of James. And turn to chapter 5 in the book of James. James chapter 5. I want to begin in verse 13. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone you, among you suffering? Let him pray. Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Great discussion about this set of passages as to whether this is physical or whether this is spiritual. And I'd like to suggest there's something else to consider here. First of all, he says, is anyone among you suffering? The opposite of that is, is anyone cheerful? So you have cheerful versus suffering. Cheerful, he says, you sing. Is anyone among you suffering, he says, let him pray. That is, suffering is, there's, there's some adversity that's taking place. There's something in life that's going on that is challenging. And so he says, if you have this adversity that you're facing in life, he said, then you pray about that. But then the next time, he says, is any among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. There's a progression that takes place here. When they describe things, they describe them not from a clinical point of view. Things were described from a symptomatic point of view. We'd say, he has cancer. He has heart disease. That's a clinical analysis. That's a clinical point of view. But they would describe things by the symptoms. And here the symptom is, here suffering is taking place. And here is this person, the suffering isn't over in just a little bit. They're weak because of it. Now then, this suffering's become just a little bit more intense. It's hung on just a little bit longer. And now there's a fatigue that's entering into this. This is something that is heavy that begins to weigh down. And so he says... Is any among you sick? Weak is the idea. He said, let him call for the elders of the church and pray over him. And only him with oil will come back to that in a moment. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith will save the weary. Now, it's not just the suffering that's gone on. It's not just that there's weakness that's taking place and the person's fatigued. Now, this has gone on a long time. Whatever that is there that is challenging is going on a long time. And it's such the case that he says, if anyone has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And if you correct this man, then the Lord will raise him up. It seems like there's some apostasy that's being threatened here. And there's something that's taking place that's causing suffering, and, and the suffering is going on, and there's weakness taking place, but now that it's gone on for a while, and the person is not just fatigued, they are flat worn out by it. They are weary by it. 
They, 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 are, they just are exhausted at their wit's end about it. Illustration, just illustration. You know, you may have a common cold. That's a bothersome thing. Then the cold may turn to a bronchial condition. And that's a little bit more serious kind of thing. And the cold may go on for a while, and then, then a couple of weeks, 10 days, so you get over it. But now the infection starts, sinus, bronchial tubes, and it's not over in a little bit. And, and you just are getting weak by This thing's getting old here. The, the coughing and all the things, you just feel bad. But now then, it doesn't just stop there. It goes to pneumonia. And now pneumonia's not over in a day. And you're hospitalized, and now you're on oxygen. Because and now there's a real threat. This becomes a heavy, heavy thing that's there. Now, that's not what he's talking about. I'm illustrating it with that. Here there's some burden that's there. It seems some threat to them that's there. And he says, is anyone suffering? Then let him pray. The suffering is going on. Is he weak? Not physical or spiritual, but there's some, something challenging here, some apostasy taking place. Is anyone weak because of it, growing weak? And then... They're just weary. They're just weighted down and burdened. And they see no way out from under the load that's there. He said, what do you do? He said, you call for the elders of the church and they pray. Question. When you suffer and when you are weak and weary, who do you want praying for you? You want the most spiritually mature individuals you can think of to be praying for you you're not going to call someone that's inexperienced that's a novice you're going to call someone that has some spiritual maturity to them and that should be the elders it should be the elders that you when you think of spiritual maturity pop immediately in your mind i'm gonna call for the elders in this i'm gonna call for them to come and pray with me about this that's why you call for the elders because you're calling for those who with some experience, some judgment, some oversight, some care, some shepherding, and they're going to come and they're going to pray for you. And they're going to do all they can to encourage and lift you up. And that's what he says in the latter part of verse 14, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing with oil took place on a number of different things, but literally that reads, oiling him in the Lord. It's not, okay, I go in and I spray a little WD-40 here, WD-40 here, and WD-40 there. It is oiling him is what he's talking about. You do what you can to provide relief. This is something that was immediate. This is not something miraculous taking place here. He's not saying, here are these elders that have some miraculous uh, uh, gift that's going on here. Here he's saying, here, here is a role that elders have, and these roles are going to come and pray for people. And they're going to do what they can to provide relief for them. And provide that relief. You're, they're going to lift you up. They're going to encourage you. They're going to give you an encouraging word. They're going to uphold you. They're going to comfort you. You see 1 Thessalonians 5 ties in here. And so when you think about the idea of James chapter 5, you think about praying and providing relief for someone. So whatever the need is that is there, you, you provide the relief for that. You, you oil them is what you do. You help relieve them of what their burden is. You take it on yourself. You help carry that is the idea. Now that gets back to the shepherd carrying the lamb, right? 
Here's the lamb that is wounded, and the shepherd is what? He picks the lamb up, and he carries the lamb. That gets back to that kind of significant thing. So here you have the elders. He said, you call for them, and they'll pray for you, and they will lift you up. They'll do all they can to encourage you and, and to show you what's right is the idea. Then the first, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And walk through this passage with me, beginning in verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I'm a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. First of all, notice what Peter says. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter's not inexperienced in this. Peter's traveled with the Lord. He said, I have witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I have witnessed those things. And not furthermore, I'm a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. I not only witness what Christ has endured, I'm also a partaker. I share in the glory that will be revealed that he receives. So I'm a witness and a partaker of those things. But notice what he says. I exhort as a fellow elder, not an apostle, as a fellow elder, I exhort you. And we talked about the word exhort in the 9 o'clock period. I exhort you to do some things. What does he exhort them to do? He exhorts them to shepherd the flock. To shepherd the flock. That, that idea of tend, feed, pasture, provide for, we've talked about in the past. And he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. And notice, he's not talking about, here's a group of shepherds over another flock. Here's a brotherhood group of shepherds. Here's a world alliance full of shepherds. Here's a universal shepherd. He's talking about the shepherds among you. The shepherds grow out of among you. Remember the very first lesson? Where do elders come from? They come from among you. And so here he's talking about you. Here you shepherd this flock of God. I have done, I'm doing that as a witness and a fellow partaker. I am a fellow elder in this. And you shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And then he says some things that are important. You're overseers in this. But it's not by compulsion. It's not because somebody had to beg you to do it. It's not because somebody had to twist your arm behind your back until you said uncle. In 1 Peter Timothy chapter 3, if you have any desires... The office of the bishop, he desires a good work. That last desire is the word longing for. A mind set on. Here is a man who longs to do this work. There's a longing to do that. He has a mind set on doing that. It's not a man that says, okay, since there's nobody else, I guess I will. Nobody else stood up? Nobody else a hand raised? Okay, I guess I'll do it then. Okay, everybody pressure me into it. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, you ought not to have to beg people to do this. And if you get to where you have to beg people to do this, then there's something worse than that taking place. There's a lack of development taking place. And so first of all, he says, not by compulsion, but then he says willingly. That's the opposite side. And then not for dishonest gain. Now, in 1 Timothy 5, he says, a man is worthy of double honor. And we talked about that double honor had to do with wages. Because you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Obviously, this is not an indictment against that. But what he's saying is there is a possibility. There's a possibility that someone would do this for dishonest gain. 
There is some management that takes place in this, though that's not the primary thing. There is some oversight of funds that take place in it, though that's not the primary thing. And here's a man that takes advantage of, of the flock, and he does so by, ta- by dishonest gain. Hold your marker there and turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. I think you see in Ezekiel chapter 34, and we touched this passage earlier in the discussion of things. I think you see this passage in Ezekiel 34 tying in with this dishonest gain thing. Notice what he says in verse 4. The weak you've not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick. Here you see the sheep have disease. And it's like, okay, fend for yourself. You're on your own here. You got the disease, you take care of it. He says, the shepherds have not healed the sick. What does a shepherd do with his lamb? A shepherd sees the lamb is sick and he provides the relief the lamb needs to be well. And so he says, nor bound up the broken. Here you have a lamb that's broken its leg and you set the leg and you carry the lamb. You provide the healing for the lamb. But he said, that's not what you did. You, you didn't bind up the broken, nor did you bring back those who were driven away. You said, I got 99, I'm good. One went away, tough for him. But you sought, what, and nor did you seek out what was lost, but with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. You haven't shepherded them. You are eating the sheep. You're dividing the sheep. You're taking advantage of them. You're doing this by compulsion. You're doing this as a, as a hiring. You're doing this as someone who's only interested in what you can gain out of it. And what happened, verse 5? So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. You were supposed to be overseeing them. You were supposed to be shepherding them, and you, you let them go, and you let every beast devour them. All you're interested in is what you could get out of them. Dishonest gain. But now notice verse 11. For thus says the Lord, the Lord God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I'll bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their folds shall be on high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountainsides of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, strengthen what was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Do you see the contrast between the shepherds of Israel and the chief shepherd himself? What he says in verses 11 through 16 is the model, the ideal shepherd. Because that's talking about God. Is this Here's God, the Lord, I will do for my sheep. This is what I will do for them. I'll provide whatever is needed for them. That may inconvenience you. You may get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. You may be out to 2 o'clock in the morning. You may not get any sleep one night. It may be you're out with your family, you get a phone call, and you have to leave. 
because you're a shepherd. Maybe a lot of things that you have to sacrifice as a shepherd because you have a responsibility as a shepherd to the flock. Now hit a pause button just a moment. This is a lesson next week, but I'm going to pause here. Family of men who are going to be considered to be shepherds. It's on you too. Because here's the deal. When this church asks him to be a shepherd, he doesn't just belong to you. He's no longer just yours. You have to be willing to share him. And you have to be willing to have some time that he's going to have to attend to the flock. And maybe times you're going to feel neglected in that. Okay, well, he's putting them before me. Sometimes it's hard to find a balance. Wives, can I say something to you? You're going to feel like he's paying more attention to the flock than he is to you. It may be you're out having your favorite meal and he gets a phone call and he's got to take the phone call. Because there's a member of the flock that's calling. And you can sit there and you can huff and you can snort all you want to. But he's a shepherd. And he's not just yours now. And so what I suggest is family, you got to talk about this. Wives, you have to acknowledge this. He's not just going to be yours anymore. If he's going to do verses 11 through 16, that's going to require, I'm sorry, some time he's not going to be with you. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you. That doesn't mean he won't make some time for you. That just means there's a moment that came up. He's got to take care of his responsibility as a shepherd. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. But I think that's significant for you to understand, families. As you can see, this is not just about the man. There's a part the family plays in this too. And fathers, let me say something to you about this. It may be you have multiple children, and some of your children have obeyed the gospel, but one has not. And one's still junior high, high school, one's young in school here. One thing you need to consider is this. Does that young child you have in your home still need you more as a father than to share you as a shepherd? Do you feel a greater responsibility toward that young child that's still in your home that may need you more as a father than the church needs you as a shepherd? Because here's the deal. That young child may not have you as a father all the time. Oh, you'll still be the father, but may not be present all the time. And mothers, if that takes place, and that father is asked to do that, that puts a burden on you. Because someone's going to have to take up the slack. And someone's going to have to teach this child, now listen, daddy's doing this. And this is why daddy's doing this. And we have to work with daddy here. We have to support daddy here. We have to encourage daddy here. I'm just saying, families, there's something else that's involved in this and just, okay, I have been voted a shepherd. There's a sacrifice everybody pays in this. And verses 11 through 16 tell us what it is. And furthermore, families, there's something else. We've said this a couple of times. It may not be that people understand why a judgment has been made. A decision has been reached. An action has been required. And it may be that you hear 
the prating, the talk that goes on about your husband, your father. That he really is an idiot. That he doesn't know what he's doing. And here's the deal. You can say nothing about it. You have to keep your mouth closed. That's just the way it is. Because for you to open your mouth and say any more about that does not help the situation. It hurts the situation and it hurts him. And sometimes you're going to hear things that are said that you wish you weren't here that were said. That's not my dad. That's not my husband. That, that's what someone said about him. I question his sanity. You understand, families. That's part of what's taking place in this responsibility that's mentioned in verses 11 through 16 here. In verses 4, 5, and 6, it was for dishonest gain. In verses 11 through 16, back to 1 Peter chapter 5 now, it was, it was willingly that they did this. So he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And then he puts this in. Not as lords over those who entrusted you, but being examples of the flock. Not lording it over the flock. We've talked about this idea of rule, being boss. He's not a dictator. He doesn't dictate to the flock. He's not the boss. He's not the one that cracks the whip. He's just not the boss of brethren. He's a shepherd. But again, I reiterate, he may not always be understood. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers, for your joy, for by faith you stand. Not that we have dominion over your faith. Shepherds don't have dominion over your faith. They can't tell you what faith to have. They can tell you how to have your faith. They're not lords. But he says, not, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers of joy. We're your fellow workers. Shepherds and the flock have that partnership. Turn back to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. And look at verses 1 through 3. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. So in verse 1, you have these men that are involved. And it says, they rose up against Moses and some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly? And notice verse 4. Moses heard it and he fell on his face. I can't believe you said this about me. I didn't ask for this. I tried to talk the Lord out of it. I can show you the text message. He wouldn't listen to me. His response was, no, you're doing it. Here's God's representative of the people, and all they could do is slander him. So look at what happens in verse 15. Then Moses was angry, and the Lord said, Do not respect their offering. Don't respect their offering. I have taken one donkey from them. I have not taken a donkey, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and your company will be present to the Lord, and, and you and they shall all, as well as Aaron, you shall know. You see what happened to Moses? See what happened to Paul? People didn't always understand what was taking place. They didn't always appreciate what was done. 
But he says, here's the deal. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4, he says, you don't do it as lords, but you do it as examples. You set the type. You be the one whose mold they're going to fit. You be the one who everybody can point to and say, I wish I was like him. I, see, my, my children, you see that man? I want you to be like that man. That's what I want you to be. Now, why do you do this? Look again at verse 4, 1 Peter 5. When the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. First of all, you recognize these aren't your sheep. These people don't belong to you. You have been asked to steward them. They're not yours. You don't own them. The chief shepherd owns them. And the chief shepherd has said, I'm going to give them into your hand. I'm going to let you be a steward for me in this. The second thing is, when the chief shepherd appears, the chief shepherd is the example. The chief shepherd is the example of how you do this. You shepherd like the chief shepherd shepherded. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. And then verse 4 again. And you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The chief shepherd owns the sheep. You're a steward. He has set the example. And you'll have a crown of glory in doing so. So he says, it's not by constraint. It's not for dishonest gain. It's not lording on them. It's being examples, doing it willingly and eagerly when asked the assignment. Then one other passage, and then we'll close. Turn to 3 John, 3 John with me. 3 John. Now, like 1 Thessalonians 5, I said the 9 o'clock hour. There's nothing in 3 John that says Diotrephes is an elder. But there's some things that take place here that I think are important to mention about, that look at about Diotrephes that fit what we're talking about. Because he pretends to be over them. I wrote to the church but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will, not, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting about us. Our word pratting, we, we don't, did you prat late recently? No, we don't use the word prat. How about just babble? Just babble. He just babbles. Just, just a, like a babbling brook, he just rolled it, just babble. But notice how he babbles. With malicious words. He's not just babbling. He's babbling with malicious words. He is a man who loves to have preeminence. He's going to let people know he's boss. And furthermore, he's going to babble with malicious words, not content that himself did not receive the brethren and forbids those who wished putting them out of the church. In other words, they didn't have his approval to come, so therefore, you're out. You didn't, pass, you didn't come by and ask me if I could, you could be here. And so since you didn't ask me, you're out. I run this church. If you don't believe me, just wait till I babble some malicious words about you, and I'll ruin you as well. I'll slander you is what I'll do. He only, he only had preeminence because he, he was filled with malice and slander with people. And because they didn't ask his permission, he's going to be put out. He said, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. He is not a dictator who rules by the whip and by decree, by, by, by demand. It is not, the elder says, jump and you ask how high. It's not, can I sneeze, please? 
That's not what it is. And it's not that he, he uses these cunning, scheming ways. Cunning, scheming ways. It's some strategy. He's going to work into the lives of people. And he's going to dominate the lives of people. And listen, it's not always overt. In fact, Dr. Fees doesn't begin working overt. Let me describe Dr. Fees for you. Dr. Fees doesn't come into the assembly in dirty overalls with his hair all matted, tobacco stained shirt. He doesn't come in like that. Dr. Fees comes in with a PhD, he comes in with a nice tie, in a nice suit, and drives a nice car. And his family looks like they're the model. But what he does is he turns people against people. And he does it with malicious babbling. Tom, did you hear about Joe? Let me tell you about Joe. Joe, did you hear about Anthony? Let me tell you about Anthony. Anthony, did you hear about Deb? Let me tell you about Deb. And furthermore, he always has his clown. He's a strategist. He doesn't do it out front. He has his clown that does it for him, so he can always say, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, I didn't do that. But the clown, the shrew, is working for him. He loves to have the preeminence. When you have a man like that to consider, run away as fast as you can. Because it doesn't take but one to run a group of 400 people. It doesn't take but one. Because it's like leaven. It just works over time. Needs the heart and soul out of a congregation and out of people. And then to correct it will call for a catastrophic explosion that most people will not be able to endure. So you see Adotrophes and you smell him and you see how he works. Do not Ask that man to shepherd your soul because he will have your wool in his teeth sooner or later and he will be a wolf. Because shepherds don't eat sheep, wolves eat sheep. That's the negative part. And so when we consider what Third John says, he loves to have preeminence and just babbles about using malicious words. Now as I bring this to a close this morning, I just want to ask you, as we've looked at the totality, of, there's nine passages that we've looked at, by the way. They have to do with the work of an elder. Nine passages. As we've looked at those nine, can you find the men who can shepherd you? Can you find in those descriptions of a man to do this work, the kind of work a man is blameless? that is not quarrelsome, that is not quick-tempered, that is not given to wine, who has a family that is following his example, who's not a novice, 
who's able to teach, able to hold fast the word of God, convict when necessary, encourage when necessary. To have the judgment in whom you can trust. Because at some time or the other, you have been a recipient of his, of his shepherding. Can you find that kind of man or men that you can ask to shepherd you as a flock? When you look for a man, find a man who's not a novice, but has spiritual maturity, who is a shepherd, who oversees. And you'll find a man who can do the work. I know we've not talked about salvation this morning, but perhaps there's someone whose soul has been stirred by some message you have received somewhere in this past week, or maybe even a conversation today that has stirred you, that you need to obey the gospel, and you need the salvation of your soul, you have your sins washed away, because you've come to believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you've changed your mind about God, about sin, and you want to turn from sin and turn to God, and now then you want to have your sins washed away, then we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.